Hi, this is Pastor Larry Smith from New Life Church in Philly. I want to introduce the sermon that you're about to listen to. Uh, Our church is going through a series on emotionally healthy spirituality. And this chapter that we've been going through this week is Journey Through the Wall. This sermon is called Letting Go to Let God. And it's based on Genesis 22, 1 through 14, where Abraham offers up his son Isaac. The beginning of the sermon, I'm talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. Some of you know that movie with Jimmy Stewart. He plays a character called George Bailey, who is going through this incredible crisis in his life. And he gets to a point where he says, I wish I had never been born. Wonder if anyone else here has ever felt that way. I wish I'd never been born. But unlike you or I saying something like that, George has a guardian angel, an old white-haired dude named Clarence that's next to him. And he says, hmm, maybe that's a good idea. He asks heaven about it and he grants him his wish. George Bailey can now live the rest of his life as if he'd never been born. And so he goes back into town The angel tells him, you've never been born. He runs into people he's known his whole life. They don't know who he is. He's never been born. In the world without George, he finds out that his his brother, uh, who was a war hero in World War II and saved many, many people as a war hero, his brother died at an early age in a sledding accident. You see, George had been the one to pull him out of the water and save him from drowning, but George had never been born, so his brother dies at an early age. In the world in which George had never been born, he goes and looks for his wife. He can't find her anywhere. Finally, the angel tells her she's at the library, and he goes to the library. He sees his wife, and she, he, he, confronts her and she just swoons and she faints because she doesn't know who this man is. They were never married. They never had children. His children were never born in the world that George had never been born in. And also in that world where George had never been born, the town that he lived in, Bedford Falls, George had a great impact on that town. Although he didn't get to uh, live out his dreams, he had an impact on that town. But Because George had never been born, the town is taken over by a tycoon. And this man has no grace, no love, no care for people. It's all about money and his own self-aggrandizement. And so in the world in which George had never been born, the town he lives in, Bedford Falls, is a graceless place. It's a cruel place. It's a place where the strong oppress and feed off of the weak. It's an ugly place. And so we're, we're going to look at a clip in the movie where George suddenly realizes that he's glad he was born. He came to this place and now he sees, I'm glad I was born and he wants to live again. Let's look at that clip. Clarence, get me back. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. 
Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now, get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals! Zuzu... There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas! Merry! Merry! Yay! George is on the other side of the dark night of the soul right there. He's on the other side of going through the wall. But George's life was so messy, it was so complicated that leading up to that point, he came to that point of wishing he had never been born. And what we're reading about and what we're studying here is this idea of going through the wall or the dark night of the soul. And the reality is that every believer will go through these times of significant life-changing trial more than once in your life, if you're following Jesus, you will go through seasons like that. The simple fact is that God loves you and God loves me way too much to just let us slide through life as if that we're just in basically in great shape. And all we need is a little tweak here and a little tweak there, and we'll just be like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you don't just need a little tune-up. You need an entire engine overhaul, and so do I. God loves us too much to let us live in a fantasy world. Let me say this. Your life and your family won't be sanitized for your protection. Your life's not going to be a little G-rated movie where everything happens nice and easy. Following God in a fallen world means that you will encounter a whole lot of ugly. In yourself, in people you love, in your family, in your church, on the job, and in the world in general. And God's plan is not to somehow navigate you around the ugly, navigate you around the mess and keep you in this pristine place. But God's plan is to take you right in the midst of it and take you through it so that you reach that point, like we saw with George, of absolute desperation where nothing else matters but to obey God, but to believe Him. This is what we talk about as the dark night of the soul. True freedom in Christ 
only exists on the other side of going through that wall, that dark place, that difficult place, and coming to know what it really means to depend on God. Not a syllogism, not a simple verse, but depending on the one true and holy God who is. Today, the subject that I'm speaking on is letting go to let God. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. If you can stand up together with me, we're going to read just the first two verses together of Genesis 22. But let me say this as we prepare to read. The main idea, the main idea today is this. Growing in deeper communion with God means letting go of what we think we control and thankfully embracing the reality that God is in control. Amen? Amen. Let's read together Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Let me pray. Father God, right now, we pray that you will be with us in these coming moments and that your word and your spirit would impress on the minds and the hearts of your people, Lord God, so that we will come to know you in an even greater way. Use this time for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. There's three questions I want to look at today as we come to this biblical text. But as we look even at these first two verses, there's a lot in here. The first question is, why do we hold so tightly to things? So tightly. Why do we hold to things like that? Well, if anyone would seem to have a right to hold to things tightly, it would be Abraham. Amen? Abraham went through it with the Lord in in the birth of his son and all that happened. And if you even look at the language in verse 2 in particular, it says that God had tested him in verse 1. This was God's testing. But he says, take your son. Which one? Your only son. Just to remind you, there's only one I'm talking about, Abraham. Which one? The one whom you love, Abraham. The one that your heart is tied to. The one that you are one with. You love this son. Take that son. Okay, which one? Isaac. He gives him the name. Isaac. And then he tells him what to do. And to offer his son up as a burnt offering. Listen, if anyone thinks that they have a right to argue with God about what God is saying, I would think, Abraham would have that right. He's got to be wondering, what in the world is God talking about? So let let me just imagine for a moment in my sanctified or semi-sanctified imagination what that soliloquy might have been at the beginning when God tells Abraham to take the life 
and offer his son as a burnt offering. Here I am now, Abraham. I'm putting on my 113-year-old clothes. God, what are you doing? You know, you called me when I was 75 years old. 75, had no children. And you promised me a son. You promised me that they would be like the stars of the heavens. I was 75. It took 25 years, Lord, before you did that. 25 years. Lord, do you have any idea how long 25 years is? I was 99, you came again. 99! That's a long time, Lord. And then you give me this boy. You see this boy right here. Isaac, he's a fine young man. He's just becoming a man. And you promised him, and you promised me the stars of the sky. The stars of the sky. All I've got is this one. And he hasn't had any little ones yet. Lord, do you have any idea what you're doing right now? I imagine there had to be a conversation at some point between Abraham and the Lord. And we'll look at where we can see more of that in a little while in the book of Hebrews. Here's the thing. God hears that. God deals with that. But God doesn't back up. God doesn't say, okay, let's negotiate terms. God doesn't say, okay, that was a little too hard. Let me give you an easier task. God doesn't give Abraham something that he can get his hands around and understand. Let's face it, for all of us, we want to be in control of stuff. Somebody ought to say amen right now. At best, our struggle for control is out of a sense of things being right or things being fair, even if that's kind of always skewed in my favor. But at worst, we have an idolatrous desire for control to make the world and life fit into my mold. But no matter how hard we try, at the end of the day, we can't control the world around us any more than we can control the wind blowing. So what do we do when the bare facts of our life, the difficulty and the struggle that we face is so much greater than we can understand or handle that we feel lost. We feel overwhelmed. Listen, There's too many times in my own life that I've been in that place and in that place tried to hold on and control it a little longer. Has anyone else ever done that? You try to fix it. You try to figure it out. You try to make it better. You try to make sense out of nonsense. This has happened. It's not in the playbook. I didn't see this, God. I've been serving you. Why in the world is this happening now? I don't understand it. That's a place that I call overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Here's three things that I've learned about overwhelmed. Number one. Overwhelmed is your invitation to stop 
trying to be God. Sometimes we walk around with middle names. Larry, Holy Spirit Junior, Smith. Sometimes we have this complex that if there's an issue, if there's a problem in here or out there, I have to be the one to handle it. I have to be the one to fix it. Overwhelmed is a place for us to understand, for you to understand that you are indeed not God. Number two, overwhelmed is God's gracious reminder that you are severely limited. Tell your neighbor, you are severely limited. Tell your other neighbor, you are too. Okay, don't go too far with that, y'all. Some people are getting too happy with that. Especially husbands and wives, be careful now. We're limited. We can't do it all. We can't handle it all. And lastly, overwhelmed is a reality check that you are a human being. You're simply human. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Embracing the fact that you are overwhelmed is the first step towards the kind of change that really makes a difference in your life. Letting go is the primary way that we get out of being overwhelmed. Letting go. And that leads to our next question. The next question what causes us to be willing to let go? It's in Genesis 22, 3 through 8. I'm not going to put it all up there, but let me put up verses 6 through 8. We'll look at those verses. In, in these verses, Abraham begins to do what God told him to do. He loads up his donkey. He gets his servants. He brings his son. He gets the wood. He gets everything ready. He walks out to the place God told him to. It's a three-day walk. And he tells his servants to wait while he goes on with the boy. Let me pick it up in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. Now hear this. And he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Hey, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering. I want to stop there for just a moment because we can so easily just read right through Scripture. Stop there for a moment and imagine you're Abraham. God has told you to go to this place and to offer your son as a burnt offering. That means first you will kill him with a knife. Then after the blood of his body drips out of him, pours out of him, then you will put that place on fire and burn him up. And his son asks him as he's on the way to do this, Father, I see the fire. I see the knife, but, and we got the wood, but where is the lamb? Can you imagine the heart 
of Abraham at this time. Perhaps he had already come to faith. I believe he had come to faith by this time. But the wrestle of that reality that the one that you love, the, all the promises of God are bound up in this one. And he looks to me with innocent eyes and says, what's going on, Papa? What's going on, Daddy? And you are able to say, God will provide God will provide something had happened in Abraham's heart that allowed him to answer in faith. And I believe that there had to have been, and we see it in the book of Hebrews, a process that Abraham went through to get him there. When we talk about grief, we often talk about five stages. Denial, anger, Bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. And I don't know if he went through that just that way, but I believe when he heard the word of God, there was a wrestling that went on. There was a struggle that went on. There was probably denial at first. You cannot be asking me to take my one and only son. There's probably bargaining going on. Can't we take this one or that one? But finally, he comes to accept God at his word. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, gives us a glimpse into that. And in chapter seven, uh, verse 17, it says that Abraham was tested. He was tested, just like it says in Genesis 22.1. But it says, Abraham ultimately embraced the promises of of God. He embraced the promises of God. Here's the scripture I want to read to you. Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham went through a process. He had to work through this. He had to reason this. Listen, for Abraham, if anything was ever a dark night of the soul, when God comes on the scene and tells him to take the life of his probably 13-year-old or so boy whom he had waited for his whole life, Abraham's a 113-year-old man. All the promises are in that son. He's in the dark night of the soul, and God is telling him, you need to let go. He reasons that the God who called me out of Ur, the God who called me from nothing, the God who called me when I was an idol worshiper, the Lord who has given his promises to me, this God is able to raise even my son from the dead. Listen, I want you to hear this real quick. A willingness to let go only comes through a radical faith in the goodness of God. So many of us hold on for so long because we haven't resolved that issue. God is good. It's not based on what I see. It's not based on what I feel. It's based on his word, and it's based on how he has proved it already in Jesus Christ. God is good. And so we're in this process of having our faith purified. 
I want to look for a second at what that purified faith looks like. Four characteristics of purified faith. Number one, it believes God's word over and against circumstances and feelings. When God takes you through and brings you through, he doesn't bring you around. You don't get to skip this step, but when he brings you through it and you're on the other side, you understand purified faith that although I see this and I see this, I believe God's word is true. Secondly, purified faith commits to uncertainty. That means I'm able and willing to let go without knowing or having any control over the outcome. There are things and people that folk in this room need to let go of and leave in the hands of Almighty God. It makes a decision to go in a direction with no earthly guarantee. There is no earthly guarantee. Listen, many of you have done that and are doing that now. You have built your life, you are living your life based on a belief that this word is true. Based on a belief that 2,000 years ago Jesus died on a cross for your sins. You have built your whole life on that, so you've done it. In the biggest thing that there is, but God is calling us in other things to trust him to commit to uncertainty. Number three, it forsakes manipulation. Purified faith takes hands off and receives God's hand. It's a movie, it's a silly movie called Sweet Home Alabama. Some of you know that movie. And in this movie, Reese Witherspoon plays a young woman and she's getting married to the, uh, to the son of the, not governor, but the mayor of New York, and he's going to run for Senate. He's this, you know, famous guy. He's like a JFK, like a Kennedy kind of a family, um, and she's going to marry him, and it's so exciting, but she was married before, and her old husband down in Alabama has refused to sign the divorce papers. So in the movie, she's trying to get him to sign these papers, and Finally, she does. And so the wedding goes forward, and in the middle of the wedding ceremony, her lawyer comes from the back and says, wait, wait, wait. And he tells her and he shows her he got him, she got him to sign the divorce papers, but she never signed them herself. And so I'm going to paraphrase what her father says to her. He says, sugar bee, you can't ride two horses at the same time. In other words, you're still married to him. You can't marry him. But listen, isn't that what we often try to do? We try to manipulate situations. We're saying, I give it to God. I give it to God. We give so many things to God and take it back with the other hand so fast. I give it to you, Lord. Give it back. We're, we're manipulating, but we forsake manipulation. The last thing that purified faith does is it embraces mystery. If you are living your Christian life 
in such a way that you're not going to embrace what God is saying to you, what you know the Lord requires until you understand it, until you can get your hands around it, you're going to be a poor Christian. Because there are so many things that are mysterious. Pastor Tim talks about sacred tensions. I don't understand how this is true and this is true at the same time. And God says, good, that's the way I want it. You're not me. You shouldn't understand it all. You don't have to understand it to believe it and to walk forward in faith. Letting go is able to see God in your pain and in unknowing. That allows you to actually let go. Letting go admits to the struggle instead of trying to avoid a struggle. And here's what I really want you to get today. Instead of embracing the gifts of God, letting go embraces the God who gives. Not holding on to every little morsel, every little thing I can get from God. I'm willing to let all that go and I will hold on to the living God. The lover of my soul, the one who died for me, the one who lives for me, the one who prays for me, the one who empowers me. I will hold on to him if I have to let go of everything else. That's what letting go is about for us as believers. Let me move on to the last piece here today. Last question, not only why do we hold so tightly to things and what causes us to be willing to let go, but what impact does letting go have on our lives? You can see it in verses 9 through 14, but I'll just go through verses 11 through 13 one by one in a minute. What impact does letting go In other words, letting go is going to the other side of that journey through the wall. Letting go and leaving it in the hands of God is the other side of the dark night of the soul. What happens there when we let go? Three blessings for letting go. The first is this, the blessing of God's presence. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. This is when Abraham is at the point with the knife, his son tied up on that altar, ready to bring that knife down into his son's chest. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. All this time between the initial call from God to do this act, Until now, we don't have any record of God speaking with Abraham. There's a time of silence. There's a dark night of the soul. There is a time when God isn't speaking to him. But when Abraham says, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow your way. Now we see the Lord speaking to Abraham. The first blessing of God's is God's presence. God's very presence. Listen, we, we need to know this. That we go through seasons, even with God, 
when it feels like heaven is shut up. Have you ever been there? You're praying and you're praying and you're praying and it feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling and going right back down to your toes. There's times when it just doesn't seem like you can get a prayer through. But listen, the silence of God is not necessarily a sign of his displeasure. But it's often God's way of training you to trust him. In a time when God seems far away, he's training you to trust him. God calls us to faithfulness, to what we know, even in the midst of our pain. Secondly, the blessing of God's protection, verse 12. Verse 12, the scripture says these words. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said, God speaking. Do not do anything to him. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. God tells Abraham not to harm Isaac. Abraham had not withheld his only son from the Lord. And so now we see God protecting him. Listen, brothers and sisters, the safest place you can ever be on earth is in the center of God's will. It may not seem like it. It may not feel like it. And others may look at it and say, you have lost your natural mind. But the safest place you can ever be is in the center of God's will. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, listen to what he says, Christ will be exalted in my body. And then he says, whether by life or death. Verse 21, Philippians 1 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul got a whole new way of looking at and viewing the world, and it's not one that's tied to the here and now, but it's one that is tied to the Lord and the King and the God of His salvation. It's one that sees whether you take me or whether you leave me here, Lord, I have something to do for you, and you are good. That's what Abraham comes to in God sends his protection, and finally, in verse 13, Abraham receives God's provision. Scripture says, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, hallelujah, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son, and the Bible says he called that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord provides. Listen, Someone here needs to hear this right now. You may be on one side of the wall. You may be in the middle of that dark night of the soul, but you need to hear this. God does have provision for you. He has everything you will ever need. It's in Christ Jesus. When you go through the wall, sometimes it looks like all the provision is dried up. There is nothing for me. I'm in a desert for a long time. The prophets felt that way. The apostles felt that way. I remember Habakkuk said, How long, O oh Lord, will you allow this to go on? 
We see it over and over again in the scripture, but on the other side of that wall, there is provision from the hand of God. Look at this with Abraham. God provides exactly what Abraham needs. The ram, the offering is there. You better know he provided exactly what Isaac needed, right? (laughs) He provided that ram. But not just for Abraham and for Isaac, but for everyone who will call on the name of the Lord. He has provided a lamb. He has provided a sacrifice. He has provided a substitute in Jesus Christ that we all desperately need. There's no other way through except for that sacrifice. It might not have been exactly the same mountain, but somewhere in that region near that same mountain that Abraham was 2,000 years later, God provided a lamb. God provided his one and only son, the son that he loves. God provided Jesus Christ as our substitute, and there was no other ram caught in the thicket. But the one and only son of the eternal living God died on that cross. For your sins and for my sins. I want to get practical here for a minute. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'd love it if you could just close your eyes for a minute to consider this question. What is God calling you to give up control of and to trust him with? Keep your eyes closed for a minute as you think about that question. Is there something you've been clinging tightly to that God wants you to trust him with? It could be something on your job. It could be a relationship. It could be something in your family, your finances, your health. Keep your eyes closed for just a few more seconds. If there's something that comes to your mind, I want you to just do me a favor. Just put your hand up real quick and then put it back down. I see hands all over this room. There are things that God is calling us to put into his hands. You can open your eyes now. Brothers and sisters, you'll never have true freedom in God if you're holding on to something that he wants you to leave in his hands. You need to know that you are secure in his love. If you're not secure in that, you'll never be able to let go. So I would just plead with you to remember the one final perfect act of God's love for you in Jesus Christ and live out of the sure knowledge that God is able. Let me pray. Father, be with us now as we have set aside a time to remember the one perfect Sacrifice, even as we receive the bread and the cup today of communion in a moment. Lord, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice that if there are things that you 
are calling us to let go of, that are keeping us stuck in the middle of that dark night because we won't give it up. Oh God, help us to put it in your hands, the only hands that can carry it, the only back strong enough to carry it. Oh God, help us to give those things over to you. Lord, we thank you for it. We ask for your blessing on this word. And as we come to this time of communion, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.